Well, greetings, brethren, and welcome to another uh, Feast of Tabernacles uh, Bible study. Uh, God willing, we're going to cover chapter 3 this morning. Hope that your feast is going wonderfully. Uh, amazing that we're already halfway through the feast, and uh, that's just the way it goes, that uh, uh, this really does picture the time, uh, that just pictures how time uh, really does fly. And even the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ, will pass in an instant. It'll, it, when we look back, it'll be like, wow, was that a thousand years? Uh, let's open with prayer, and then we'll get into today's study. Father, we come before you ever so thankful, Lord, that you have uh, opened our hearts and our minds to Jesus Christ, opened our hearts and our minds to understanding your will and your word. And Father, we just thank you for showing us the way to, to keep these high holy days. Um, and here we are now through the Feast of Tabernacles, looking forward to the last great day. Uh, and we just thank you, Lord, uh, that the knowledge, the understanding, that we're able to, uh, to gather and, and to comprehend uh, as a result of our faithfulness to your word. Father, we pray that you'll help us as we study now the book of Ephesians. Uh, help us to, to dig into it, Lord, and to begin to understand and, and you know, go below the surface, and that that would lead us to even greater understanding, Father, that each, each bit of understanding leads to greater understanding, not just of this book, but of all the books in your word. We praise you, Lord, and thank you ask that you be with us now. We're praying in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. So hopefully my uh, sound is coming through very well. Uh, and we have uh, changed locations now. We're up in uh, with the Collingwood Brethren. And uh, we want to cover Ephesians chapter 3 today. And uh, again, what I want to do is just pick up a couple of the verses from chapter one uh, it, it, and again it's hard to break into chapter one because it's just one beautiful almost poetic uh, stream of thought that uh, Paul has as he introduces this book and then prays for the brethren in Ephesus but you know we went through that so let's just pull out some of the verses just to really zero in on some of the concepts that he pulls forward in this part of the letter what we call chapter three in Ephesians 1 and verse 10 he says that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth even in him. So there is this plan through the fullness of the dispensation of time that God will, Christ is the focal point, and God will gather everything together in one under Christ and everything else will cease to exist. Now part of that process begins with the gathering together in one the Jew and the Gentile. And that's certainly what we see here with Paul founding the church in Ephesus. In verse 17, he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, and he's praying now, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So obviously the Apostle Paul is on a completely different level here. And he's praying that the understanding, the comprehension that he has, that God would grant this to the brethren in Ephesus, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of, his, of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So there's this understanding that they, he's praying that they will have, and this is as Gentiles grafted in, which we understand vis-a-vis you know, -vis the, the curse on the Jews, that they would be blind until the abomination that makes desolate. Here he goes in verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us or toward us? So this is a key concept that he's going to pull forward. 
that there is this exceeding greatness of power that is toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come which we are picturing as we observe this festival of tabernacles now this is a really key concept that God used his tremendous power to raise Christ from the dead and not just raise him from the dead but to raise him from the dead and set him far above all principalities and powers and that same power he is using toward us so this should give us great confidence whatever you know we're all in different seasons of our lives we're all facing different trials different blessings uh, having different blessings wherever we are wherever you are whatever you're facing this should give you great encouragement that this power this exceeding great power that God used to raise Christ from the dead and not just raise him from the dead but to set him in the heavenly in the highest place far above all principalities and powers that same power he's using toward us in other words there is no power there is no principality there is no dominion that is greater than the power that resides in you if you have God's Holy Spirit then we went into chapter 2 and um, I just this, I just want to pick up the tail end of chapter 2 uh, for context as we now go into chapter 3. So we covered chapter 2 yesterday, and then the tail end, and came and preached peace to you, which were afar off, and them that were near. So the Gentiles were far off, the um, Jews were near, and peace was preached to both. For through him, we both, that is Jew and Gentile, have access by one spirit unto the Father. So remember, he's going to gather together in one all things under Christ. But it's going to begin with the Jew and the Gentile. And then ultimately, all creation will be under Christ. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now, therefore, you Gentiles are no more strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints. It's almost like we shouldn't really call uh, gen us Gentiles anymore because we're all now one. We're all spiritual Jews. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, so they had nothing to do with this, but now fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. So God has a household, and we're now fellow citizens with the saints, and we're part of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building, Jew and Gentile, male and female, every part of this body is fitly framed together to grow unto a holy temple in the Lord. In other words, God himself will dwell in the body of believers. This is, this is mind-blowing. Again, if the ancient Israelites were to rejoice in the feast because of their physical increase that came at the work of their hands, how much more should we rejoice because of the spiritual increase, the spiritual blessings that comes at the work of God's hands? 
So that is the context then. Remember these chapter breaks are unnatural, they're not, they're artificial. Um, and so we just continue in the letter now with that understanding of how God has brought Jew and Gentile together. We now come into chapter 3, verse 1. For this cause, for this reason, this is the purpose. I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, and then he breaks his thought. He, he's, he's about to say something. This is the reason that I am imprisoned for Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. And then he's about to continue, and then he breaks off his thought. And it's almost like as he writes that he's the prisoner of Jesus Christ, he realizes that that's an issue. That there may be some that think that he's done something illegal or immoral, and that's why he's in prison. And so it's like he stops himself to clarify that he's the prisoner of Jesus Christ. He's not the prisoner of Rome. He's not in prison because of uh, some law that he broke, uh, some hate speech, and that's why he's in prison. No, he's in prison by the design of Christ. And because he would not back down preaching the truth of Christ. And we have here, it, it, we saw that he, in Acts 19, he was known to the principalities and powers. The principalities and powers talked about him as they talked about Christ. When they were having their, 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 their meetings and their conferences, this was an, Jesus Christ was an issue to them. And, and Paul was an issue to them. But the sons of Sceva, who are running around uh, exercising people and claiming to remove evil spirits from people, they were, these sons of Sceva were not on, on the demo, demonic radar at all. They were puppets of the demons, even though they claimed to be removing demons. What made Paul a thorn in the side of the demonic world was his preaching, was his enlightenment, was the fact that he was bringing people out of the darkness of the mysterious arts, the curious arts. His preaching brought light and brought them out of this, this darkness. And that's why he's being imprisoned. Hate speech, which is really love speech, because it's an Orwellian world. This isn't new. And so, you know, we have to be careful of people who have the Skiva syndrome, where they are heaping upon themselves self-importance, but the demonic world doesn't recognize them because they're not doing anything to oppose the demonic world. Paul was opposing the demonic world. So lest people think that he's in prison for something that he has done wrong, he clarifies that he's wrestling not against flesh and blood. It's not about Rome and being in prison. It's about the principalities and powers. So he, he breaks off now and says, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to me toward you, and there's that same language, to you word, that this great mighty power that we saw in Ephesians 1, that raised Christ from the dead, is now working toward us. And now Paul is saying, my imprisonment is part of this mighty working, because I was empowered and inspired to preach this truth, which is liberating you from the chains of the demonic world. And because of this preaching, the demonic world orchestrated things to imprison me, but my imprisonment is actually furthering the gospel. 
So this is the great mighty power of God that's at work. So, so these people he has not met. All He founded the church, but obviously the church has continued to grow, uh, perhaps in the three or so years that he has been there. Uh, and so it's grown. And so some of them may have known him. Some may have just heard of him. They certainly heard of his preaching. And, and he's saying it's the grace of God. Again, he opened the letter saying grace and peace to you. This is part of the grace to you. How that by revelation... He made known unto me the mystery. And remember, this is a, a city that was steeped in the mysterious arts, was steeped in mystery. And they, they burnt all of that. They repented of all of that because this is the true mystery. And he's saying it came to him by revelation. And we know that from uh, Acts uh, on the road to Damascus when he was struck down and God revealed to him who he was. And, and so he says, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote before in few words, uh, so earlier in the letter he has mentioned this, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So it's really, he's just really critical, like there's a level of understanding that I have here that I have to impart to you and you have to receive. I really am praying that you will understand what I understand in this mystery, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men. So th this is so deep and profound that previously nobody knew about it, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So there's some understanding that the apostle has that Prior to this, nobody had. But it has now been revealed unto the apostles. So prior to Christ sending these apostles and recruiting and training these apostles, and notice he says, and prophets. So there were prophets of old, and we search the prophets, we study the prophets. They had so much understanding. But the apostle Paul is saying, prior to Christ, any prophets that received revelation and were taught prior to Christ, they have a different understanding than those apostles and prophets that come after Christ. And yes, there were prophets after Christ and there will be prophets. We know that the, in, in um, the, the revelation, there will still be prophets. So, there are apostles and prophets that understand things that the prophets anciently didn't understand. And what is that? Well, first of all, we see Daniel saying he heard it, but he didn't understand. And so he said, oh, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And we know that he was told to go his way, that these things that he didn't understand would be revealed in the end time. So, so we shouldn't be surprised if there are things that we can come to understand in the end time that the ancient great prophets did not understand. But what is it specifically? What is the mystery that the ancient prophets didn't understand that the prophets after Christ's return, after Christ's, sorry, uh, first coming, that they understood with the apostles? Well, look what Paul writes in Romans 11 and verse 7. He says, What then? Israel has not obtained that which he seeks for, but the election has obtained it, and the rest were blinded. So there's a partition in Israel where there is a part of Israel that obtains what they're seeking for, but the rest are under this curse of blindness. According as it is written, 
God has given them, and this is what's written in Isaiah 6, this is the curse of, uh, given to Isaiah over God's people. According as it is written, God has given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. And this is starting to get at the mystery that none of the ancient prophets knew or understood that Israel would be blinded and in that blindness God would turn to the Gentiles and God would bring the Gentiles in to give the Gentiles light and understanding so that the Gentiles could preach to Israel, could bring Judah back into the truth. Nobody understood this. This was hidden. This was a mystery that was hidden. But it's not something that God had to figure out along the way. This was determined from the beginning that God would do this. But it was hidden. So all the revelation that the prophets received, they didn't see this. They could never envision this. The Gentiles were the Gentiles. And yes, there were prophecies. We even read them in Isaiah where God's people would be the light to the Gentiles. And all around the world, the Gentiles would come to the light of Israel and come to know the truth. The prophets understood that, but they, they never in a million years would they come to see that the, the Israelites, the Jews, would be blinded and, and, and cut off from understanding this truth. The Gentiles would be brought in and enlightened, and the Gentiles would then preach to the Jews. This, this, this is like beyond comprehension. Now, that there are prophets in the church, Paul wrote to Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 28, and he says, and God has set some in the church, God has done, done this, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversity of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles. So clearly, in the design of God, and in this mighty power that he's working within the church, there's a role for prophets. But be very careful of anybody who's a self-proclaimed prophet. Be very, very careful. Be very suspicious of anybody who comes to you saying, I am a prophet. Self, like, who, 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 how did you come to this knowledge? Do you speak this of yourself? Or do others say this of you? So we want to be very, very careful. Anybody who says they're an apostle, Anybody who says they're a prophet, even, even teachers, because Christ says there's going to be many false teachers, and many will be deceived. So this is not by self-declaration. This is by edification. That the body that is edified will come and say, this person must be a prophet. Clearly, this is the apostle. Paul was an apostle, clearly, because of the edification, because of the feeding and the building up of the body. So let's be very careful about the Skiva syndrome. People running around thinking they're doing something important when they're not on the radar at all. In verse 29 of chapter 14, he says, let the prophets, so again, uh, here he's, there's an acknowledgement that there were prophets in the church at Corinth, in the congregation at Corinth. He says, let the prophets speak two or three and let the other judge. And then in verse 32, he says, and this is really important, that the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. There is no, and be very careful, we've got so many false teachers out there. You know, so many people just pounding on their chest saying, I'm the last prophet, I'm the prophet, I'm an apostle. Whoa, 
easy, slow down. Because the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. There's no way, you know, even if you look at uh, Islam, where they have their prophet who, who speaks something completely contradictory to the previous prophets. This is impossible. Because the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. We are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone being Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ, the prophets, the apostles are all speaking the same thing. And we are building upon that thing. It's not suddenly we're teaching something totally contradictory to what the prophets taught. Back to Ephesians. Ephesians 3 uh, verse 6. So all of this, as he's come into this revelation, that he's now explaining what this great mystery is. That the gent, this is what none of the prophets would understand. None, they were not give, this, this knowledge was hidden until Christ came and died. And then this door was opened to the Gentiles. And the, the church, the, the early believers had difficulty with this. It made no sense to them. But then the proof was in the Holy Spirit. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. It's not that the, 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 the Jews or God's people, Judah and Israel, are then established and the Gentiles come to learn of God. No. The Gentile, when Christ returns, he has made Jew and Gentile one. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. This preaching that Paul is doing. Whereof I was made a minister. I'm made a minister, a minister by this mystery that God revealed this to me so I could go to the Gentiles and begin this, this uh, uh, grafting in process. Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. And he explained to us how powerful this power was or is. This same power that raised Christ from the dead and set him far above all principalities and powers, this same power struck Paul down and turned him around and enlightened him and then sent him out by the grace of God. And, and we have to understand that he wants grace and peace upon us. So we have to understand this grace. And it's by this grace that God, was, uh, God put Paul into the apostleship and into the ministry. And he's saying, unto me, this great power used me, who am less than the least, and he doesn't say of all apostles, I'm less than the least of all saints. So it's, it's, this is, is this grace given? So he's, like, what he's saying here is, God chose the worst, that's me, to do this mighty work by his mighty power. So it don't, don't look at the vehicle. I'm not some spectacular person. Don't look at me. Look at the power behind me. And this is why you know, we're going to come to chapter 6, which is a verse, that's, uh, uh, a verse that's quoted often, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And yes, it's true. But by the time we get to chapter 6, we'll have the full context of chapters 1 to 5 to really understand what he is saying. But this wrestling that he is very much involved in, he's like an Olympic spiritual wrestler here, a professional wrestler, this is all he does, that he's the least of all saints. And yet this mighty power 
is working through and in him to put down principalities and powers and false doctrines and to liberate people. Unto me, who am the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. This thing that we're a part of, we cannot take it for granted. This is the mystery that has been hidden from the beginning. This is the mystery of the ages. Nobody understood, even the prophets did not understand this, but it was written from eternity. It was written from time past, that when God looked at this, I shouldn't say from eternity past, but from time past, from, be, from, the, from the foundation of the earth, that when God set everything in motion, that this was part of the plan. And Paul has now been recruited into this to preach among the Gentiles these unsearchable riches that nobody would ever understand this. And it's great, great wealth. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. So the Apostle Paul is working extremely hard, nonstop effort because of this power that's working in him to show all men the mystery of this fellowship between the Jew and the Gentile that the Jew and the Gentile have been made one. And this was from, from the foundation of the world, this was predetermined. And so he's to, he's, this, this grace has been given to him, even though he's being imprisoned for it, he's saying this is grace. Even though he's being persecuted and stoned and left for dead, this is grace. To make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the, here it is, which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. Your presence, if, if you're not a natural born Jew, because remember God divorced Israel, but he held onto the covenant through Judah. If you're not a natural born Jew, you're a Gentile. All of Northern Israel considered Gentiles. And God is grafting Gentiles back into the covenant through this blunt instrument by opening this door to the Gentiles. So if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. I'm a Gentile. And our presence in this way, in the body of Christ, with this knowledge, is miraculous. It's miraculous. It's mysterious. And it's a mystery that comes from the foundation of the world. That from the foundation of the world, God predetermined that he would do this. And here we are. So again, I don't know what's going on in your life. Paul was in prison. Paul had many reasons to be discouraged, and he was not at all discouraged. We all have many reasons to be discouraged. You know, with this pandemic and every, uh, the, the riots and everything, people are losing their businesses, they're losing their homes, they're losing their families. This is horrible, and it's, and it's, and it's being dialed up. The principalities and powers at work, it's being dialed up. And so you may be suffering immensely at this time. But look at what we're a part of. That this mystery was hidden in God from the beginning of the world. And now it's being declared that we have fellowship with Judah and Gentile together in this mystery. Now, why? Why, why, why is Paul proclaiming to make all men see the fellowship of the mystery, which was hidden. Notice this in verse 10, very important verse. 
to the intent. Here is the purpose. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in the heavenly places or just in heavenly, in the spiritual dimension, might be known by the church the multifaceted, the manifold wisdom of God. <laughs> Let's not read over this verse superficially or quickly. Let's try to digest what he's saying here. That all of this is to the intent that now that this mystery has been revealed and Jew and Gentile can fellowship together in this mystery, that this is that the church, it's by the church, we the church are making known to the principalities and the powers, in other words, to the demonic realm, we are making known to them this multifaceted wisdom of God. Wow. The spiritual dimension, the evil spiritual dimension, that the course of this world, all the people around us, or have been hijacked and are running headlong into destruction through the power of the Prince of the Air. That we have been relieved from that, we have, been, we have escaped that to the intent that our unification, our unity teaches them something, something they never knew, something that was hidden. That all the, the prophecies and revelation that were given to the prophets that the demonic world would have had access to, would be listening to. In all of that, there was knowledge that was hidden, that none of the prophets understood this. That now has been revealed, that the Gentiles should be grafted in and have full rights to the promises and be part of the inheritance that you and I are now a part of. And our unity and opposition to the demonic realm is teaching them something. That these Gentiles that were steeped in the, the Babylonian mysterious myster mystery religions, they were steeped in it. They've now been pulled out of it and stand in opposition to it. In unification together, in opposition to the demonic realm. And, and this is, this is they, they did not understand that in crucifying, as they worked, you know, Christ gave them issues and they stirred men up to cause Christ to be put to death. And they didn't understand what they were doing. And when they put Christ to death, not only did that open up access to the Jews to now inherit the promises if they will accept Christ as their savior. Now, misery upon misery for the demonic world, not only did it make the way of salvation available to Judah? But it also now has opened up the way of salvation to the Gentiles before Christ returns. They knew that the Gentiles would have salvation once Christ returns. That was in the scriptures. What they didn't know is that we Gentiles would be grafted in now before Christ returns to be part of the inheritance and part of the priesthood to bring the rest of the world to Christ. And so, brethren, we cannot allow ourselves to get caught up in demonic teachings 
any so Marxism and all its derivatives, I'm going to focus on that particularly because Karl Marx, the root of Karl Marx's ideology, is something called conflict theory. Conflict theory, that is at the root, and that's where the neo-Marxists they went to the root to say, okay, the economic opposition of the bourgeoisie and the proletariat, that failed. We, we, we could not make a global movement out of that. But let's go to the root of his teaching, which is conflict theory, that he was putting the classes in conflict with each other economically. Let's take that theory and apply it to everything. Let's set men against women. Let's set black against white. Let's set you know, the different sexual orientations against heterosexual orientation or, or design. Let's, let's conflict theory. And so people are getting caught up in causes, thinking that they're social justice. We need social justice now, social justice now. I'm hurt, social justice. And we're pitting ourselves against each other, not understanding this mystery that we are now a part of. And our, our fellowship, our unification with each other, with the Jews, with, with the prophets in times past, our full unity is teaching the demonic world something they had no idea was coming. We cannot allow ourselves to be seduced. We cannot allow ourselves to be seduced in any way that destroys our unity in the truth. And we'll come to that uh, when we study God willing tomorrow, Ephesians 4, that our unity is just not unity. We unite with everybody. Doesn't matter what crazy ideas they're teaching. We just need to hold on to you. No, 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 no. We are uniting in this truth. And in this truth, we will not allow anybody or anything to get between us. And in this unity, this true unity, we are teaching something to the demonic realm. This is mind-blowing. This is mind-blowing. And the power of God that raised Christ from the dead and set him high above these principalities, that's the power that's in us to bring down these strongholds to speak against this deception and not allow any of it to creep into the body of Christ. Here uh, in 1 Corinthians, he says in chapter 2, verse 6, speaking of the human realm, but remember he says we're not wrestling with humans, but of the human realm, he says, howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world, so these are dominions of this world that come to nothing but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory so before the world began this mystery was ordained which none of the princes of the world knew and none of the principalities and powers behind them knew either for had they known it they would not have crucified the Lord of glory, and the principalities and powers would not have activated them and influenced them to do this. But this was hidden so that they would do it. And this is also speaks to, you know, uh, again, when we're contending with the Islamic false doctrine, that they'll say, where in the Gospels does, does Christ say, I'm the Son of God? Well, actually, this shows you why. It was a mystery. So he was very careful not to say that explicitly. Because had, had they understood that, they might not have crucified him. So he had to set it up in such a way and keep the mystery a mystery so that the demonic powers would activate the human powers to 
put him to death. Because had they had known this, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So this mystery is profound. We better not take it for granted. Verse 11, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So our presence in the body of Christ as Gentiles was predestined. It was predetermined before the foundation of the world that God would choose a people for himself exclusively and a special people far above all other peoples. But also in the plan was that the hardness of heart that God knew he would encounter in man, it doesn't matter which group he selected, that because of that hardness of heart, he would cause a portion of them, a significant portion of them, to be cut off and not have access to this. And he would open the door to the, to the rest of mankind those willing to come in to preach to those who harden themselves to provoke them to jealousy to bring them back in so that ultimately all Israel this select people would be saved by the grace of God by the power of God this was this is an eternal purpose this isn't something God is making up as he goes along in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him so we should have this boldness because of the powers that we have access to, that raised Christ from the dead and set him far above all principalities and powers. Now, in the end time, we have in the book of Revelation the different types of congregational um, strengths and weaknesses that we will see. And I just want to touch on the, the, the weakness in Thyatira because it ties into all of this. And it's a, it's a, it's a personality type of, a, you know, personality, congregations have their personalities. And, and, and Christ gives us a type of each type of congregational personality in the end time. And so here at Thyatira, if you look at the personality of this congregation, it's a warning to us. He says unto the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, These things says the Son of God. So this is coming from the Son of God, who has his eyes like unto a flame of fire. He's, a, he's coming with wrath. We need to, be, we need to have a healthy awe and respect and fear of God. And many of us, uh, unfortunately, many people, many think just read of Christ's first coming and we think we can take him for granted. We need to read about his second coming. And his feet are like fine brass. I know your works and charity and service and faith and your patience and your works and the last to be more than the first. So unlike uh, Ephesus that lost their first love, here at Thyatira, their last works are more than their first. Notwithstanding, so that has no standing now. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against you. This, this, could, this could destroy you. It's great that you have these good works, but they're notwithstanding because I have a few things against you. What is it? Because you allow that woman Jezebel, which calls herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed to idols. This is what I was saying earlier. Within this mystery, when unity is not the highest value. Truth is the highest value. Love and truth are the highest value. True love. Love and truth. True love. Not just unity for the sake of unity. So here's a congregation that has Jezebel, a modern-day Jezebel, within their midst, declaring herself a prophetess. We know that there are prophets in the New Testament. But she's self-declared. 
and she's teaching to seduce the servants. She's part of the principalities and powers. And, and the problem, Jezebel is not the problem. There will always be Jezebels. The problem is the church. The problem is the congregation that allows her to do this and to eat things sacrificed to idols. And God gives her space to repent of her fornication, but she doesn't repent. So while he's giving her space, these false teachings are continuing. So God is giving her space to repent, but the leadership and the brethren are being held accountable for this. That we have to be known to the principalities and powers as having an adversarial relationship with them, not with each other, with them. And this is part of what's meant by the uh, wrestling not against flesh and blood. It's not Jezebel. It's the principalities and powers behind her and the understanding of knowledge, the knowledge of Christ and the knowledge of the Babylonian mysteries. And which one do we allow to creep into the church? So I mentioned earlier, Marxist theory is rooted in conflict theory pitting one against the haves against the have-nots, basically. And you define the haves economically or culturally or racially, whichever way you want it. Let's just define the haves and the have-nots and have the have-nots covet what the haves have and put them against each other. Well, if we're not preaching against this, if we as the body of Christ are not preaching against this, we're not known to the principalities and powers. We're actually doing their bidding. And so Jezebel comes along, modern-day Jezebel, is, is not going to oppose this. She's going to have her own doctrines. And the fact that the church, this, this particular congregation, tolerated this, because this is, the, this is the, the, the ethic that we're in now. Tolerance is the highest value. We tolerate everything except Christ. You know, we, we tolerate everything. And then once they get into place, they have no tolerance for Christ and, and Christians. So he says, Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation. This is end time prophecy. Jezebel and the spirit of Jezebel is an issue for the church in the end time. And unless we understand this mystery that we are a part of, and this truth around which we are united, then we run the risk that Thyatira ran into. That God's giving her space to repent of her, her, her adultery. But in giving her space to repent, many are going down with her because she's not repenting. And many are getting caught up in false ideologies because she's not repenting. And this spirit, when I say she, it's a spirit. It's a spirit of Jezebel that calls herself a prophetess that is into self-promotion, that weakens the Ahab. So Ahab, her husband, she, she works with him to get into position of authority. And then when she's in a position of authority, she completely neutralizes him, takes all the masculinity out of him, and she takes the upper hand and then seduces the servants of God. We cannot have this. And we're going to see in Ephesians 5 the proper role, the godly role of men, men and women within a marriage. That God will bless the marriage that is structured properly. But the marriage that's unstructured or, or structured improperly, that opens the door to the spirit of Jezebel and the principalities and powers. Behold, I will cast her into a bed. So, so she doesn't repent. She's going to be cast into a bed. But this time, this extra time that God gave her to repent, she took many, many saints with her. So God is not going to cast her into the bed. We should all know better. And them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation. 
except they repent of their deeds. So we have to be aware of all of this. We have to highly prize the mystery that we are a part of and not tolerate this. I will kill her children with death. So then, oh, so now it's just not Jezebel. Jezebel has children. Jezebel has children. And no doubt that the Skiva syndrome falls victim to the Jezebel syndrome and the children of Jezebel. We need to be very aware of this and very clear about the structure that God works through, which we're going to see tomorrow in Ephesians 4 and the next day, God willing, in Ephesians 5. And we, we, we struggle to maintain the proper structure so God can bless, his mighty power can work through the church. And I will kill her children with death. And all the churches, so again, this, this, what, what is written to Thyatira? Oh, that's, I, I, I'm, we're not Thyatira. Ignore, ignore. Don't need to pay any attention. No, this, is, this concerns all of us. And he makes that very, very clear in this phrase. And all the churches shall know that I am he which searches the reins and the hearts. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. So we're in this mystery according to God's works. But once we're in this mystery, God expects us to have works. We are brought into this mystery to do these works that have been foreordained. All of this has been pre-written. It's just who will do it. And so we put our hand up and say, yes, Lord, like Isaiah, send us. We'll do it. But unto you, I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine. Again, this is what I was saying. Unity is not the highest value. Truth and love are higher than unity. So if somebody has this false doctrine, we're not going to tolerate it. Look, look at the destruction that comes upon the church from the mouth of Christ himself for holding this doctrine. So we cannot tolerate the doctrine. And I have known, so, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put on you no other burden. So these doctrines are going to plunge us into the depths of Satan. And I would say, getting caught up in Marxist ideology, whatever flavor, to then be in opposition to the ministry of God, to the brethren of God, to cause brethren to be put to death, this is the depth of Satan. We want nothing to do with it. We stand in opposition to the principalities and powers, as Paul did. Back to Ephesians 3. Therefore, so this actually now is getting to the heart of why he broke off in Ephesians 1, when he says, I'm the prisoner of the Lord. And then he's like, he's, I've got to explain this. Don't, don't feel sorry for me. This is a great thing toward you. This is God's great power working toward you. So see my imprisonment in context. And now he says now in verse 13, kind of coming back to his train of thought, Therefore, I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. In other words, there's no way I'm letting up on what I'm doing and what I'm preaching, regardless of the consequences, because look at you. All of you in Ephesus are in this mystery because of my preaching. This is to your glory. You are now part of this mystery. You are now a full-fledged member of the household of God and a fellow saint, a fellow citizen in, in, the, in, in this uh, household of God because of my preaching, standing against in opposition to the principalities and powers, pulling you out of the mysteries of Babylon and into the mystery of Christ. So don't feel sorry for me because I'm a prisoner of the Lord. It's to your glory. Now he can get back to what he wanted to say. For this cause... 
I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's now praying for Ephesus, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So that God is building a family. And now the Gentiles have been brought into this household that he would grant you. Here's the prayer now. Coming back, so we had a prayer in uh, Ephesians 1. He's now uh, doubling down and continuing further here in Ephesians 3. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, brethren. The, the ancient Israelites were blessed with physical abundance, with physical increase. We are blessed with spiritual increase. They were blessed according to the works of their hands. We are blessed according to the mighty working of God's hands. That he would grant us according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. This is the power, brethren, that you have access to, that I have access to. It is a power that is far above any human power, far above any demonic power, including the prince of the power of the air himself. The power that is within us is far above all of this. And so he's praying that God would grant us, the Ephesus and us by extension, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened. May you be strengthened, brethren, during this feast. Be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts with faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. This power that he opened with in Ephesians 1, that he said is just exceedingly great and far above all powers, can work within us. In fact, we've been brought into this mystery so that it would work within us. And so he's just pray, praying to God, he's on his knees praying to God that this power would be fully realized in us. And that in this way, we'll come to fully comprehend. This is work, brethren. We can't be running up and down, getting caught up and being distracted with nonsense of this world. When we have been called into a mystery to activate what is coming in the new age, in the next world, this is our focus. And we do this together. We are united by the Spirit, not just with each other, but with Judah and with the ancient prophets and the apostles and with Christ himself. And that once we understand this, it is, it is through the teaching that this power is activated. That's why, that's why having Paul as our teacher is so important, because it's through his teaching that the comprehension comes and that this is, this is where the power is fully realized. And to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. It has to come by revelation. That you might be filled with all the fullness of God. And that's why we gather during the feast. To, as part of this process, year upon year, holy day upon holy day, Sabbath upon Sabbath. Uh, in our own time, our studies. Searching the word of God and building upon our understanding that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. And here we have the apostle writing to us from prison and not the least bit feeling sorry for himself, but understanding from the spiritual dimension what he's a part of and how important, although he's the least of all the saints, 
how this mighty power is working through him to us, to usward, to use his phrasing, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him, remember he's praying now for Ephesus, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. So this we have to go back to Ephesians 1 to see that this exceeding greatness of his power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in us. We just have to realize it. We just have to tap into it. Stay above the fray. Operate in the spiritual dimension. Understanding that our unity in the truth, in this mystery, is to the intent that the principalities and powers can learn something about the multifaceted wisdom of God that they never knew. They're looking at us and scratching their heads and saying, now what do we do? Jesus we know, Paul we know, and the church of God we know. What do we do about this? How how do we deal with this? Excuse me. When they're having their meetings, they're saying, well, we tried that with Jesus, it didn't work. We tried that with Paul, it doesn't work. Does anybody else have any ideas what we can do with the church of God? Because they are deep into this mystery. They understand this. And now by them, we're coming to understand this plan of God from the beginning that, was, that nobody understood, that caught us by surprise. And now look at the church of God go in the fullness of his power. We can't, Don't get caught up in this world, brethren. Stay above the fray. Stay focused. Now unto him, and this is our prayer, that God can lift us from any uh, nonsensical Marxist ideologies. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, including our age now, upon whom the ends of the world have come. 2,000 years after Paul wrote all of this. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen and amen and amen. What a wonderful, wonderful uh, teaching, brethren, uh, by our Apostle Paul. Let's hold on to this. Let's understand what we are a part of, and let's not allow the spirit of Jezebel, which, by the way, much of these Marxist movements, it's, it's witchcraft. It's witchcraft. It's the spirit of Jezebel. They have removed any sort of patriarchy. They have removed any sort of masculinity. It's all witches running these movements. And we, and we cannot allow ourselves to get caught up in the spirit of Jezebel. Let's stay caught up in this mystery that was hidden from the beginning of time, that has been made known now. And the principalities and powers are coming to understand this mystery through the church. What we are a part of is profound brethren. Let's hold on to it tight. Let's hold on to each other. And let's hold on to Christ and this mighty power that works through us. Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. Have a wonderful feast day today, brethren. God willing, we'll see you tomorrow.